and welcome to episode 104 of the Colby Cast, your place for community and conversation about pop culture and storytelling. Luke and I are here to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, Caleb was off being a bad dog this weekend, so we'll have to get his thoughts on it later. Uh, hi, Luke. Hi, how are you? Good. Are, are you ready to fly away together into the forever and beautiful sky? I am. I really am. Um, well, I'm glad because, yes, you and I, we went out this past weekend and we watched it. We watched uh, them fly off into the forever beautiful sky, didn't we? Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I wanted to just bring up real quick that uh, it's doing very well. It's making about the same amount of money as Volume 2. Uh, it was hard to find tickets. We, I told you, right? We were. I was sort of looking around at our go-to theaters and there were no good seats left. So we ended up finding, um, you know, going back to our old faithful, um, uh, that sort of comes through and there were lots of seats, but it ended up being about half full. Right. And, and pretty good theater experience. How, how was your experience for this movie? Um, it was fine. I, I'm not a big theater guy. I would rather watch it in the comfort of my own home. Um, because I'm not a big fan of hearing other people's internal dialogues out loud. And, you know, um, but it, it, it was fine. It, it wasn't a problem for me. Like, it didn't make or break the movie for me. So that's fine. It was no um, Wakanda Forever. Huh? I remember we spent, like, what, 20 minutes complaining about our theater experience for Wakanda Forever. <laughs> We're not going to do that here. Uh, this one was pretty good for me too. I had um, a, a family with some young kids sitting next to me or a couple seats away from me and their interaction with the movie and their reaction. I just sort of enjoy hearing the young, the young kids reacting and laughing and saying things that, uh, you know, that was just real childlike. And the guardians of the galaxy is that right. It's, it's a fun property. It's a fun, um, bunch of fun characters and fun movies it can be heavy and it can be emotional but overall it's silly wacky and the family sitting next to me was uh it just sort of embodied that so uh, i did also want to bring up one other thing before we actually get to the guardians and i'm unabashedly and unapologetically stealing this from jen from the long take podcast because a couple uh, a couple weeks ago, her and a friend of hers, P.T. McNiff, they broke down uh, John Wick 4, which we've seen, but we haven't done, huh? We, we, we should do one of those where we talk about some of these movies we've seen this year. But yeah, we should. That they, um, they talked about the trailers, and I thought that was such a good idea. And then we went to this movie, and I felt like we had a, a lot of strong trailers. So I wanted to hear what you had to say. We've all sort of had like this tradition in our family where when we go to the movies together, a trailer will play and we'll all sort of like put out our hands and give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, right? Um, where if we're interested, oh, yeah, that was a winner. I want to see this. Or no, nah, we're, we're going to pass. Um, I felt like there was a lot of thumbs up coming from me on these trailers. The first one was Gran Turismo. I don't know if I had seen a trailer for this. And all I knew was that Gran Turismo is a, is a video game, right? A racing video game. And that this movie is not like a reenactment or a redone, like a video game movie, as much as it's a, based on a true story about a contest of Gran Turismo players getting a chance to actually go into racing. What did, I found that the trailer was really effective and way made me way more interested in this movie than I had previously. What about you? Yeah, I thought it was good. I hadn't heard of it till 
I saw an ad for it on Instagram like an hour before we saw the trailer. So I I thought it was interesting because it showed a lot more than the little ad on Instagram did, and it looks interesting. It does. It's got a good cast. Uh, I mean, Hopper, I would pretty much see anything that Hopper's in. I, I call him Hopper, but his name's David Harbour. He was one of my favorite things about Black Widow, and I'm glad he's coming back to the MCU with uh, – with the MCU version of the Suicide Squad, what are they called? The the Thunderbolts. Um, yeah, so he seems like he he's sort of right in his wheelhouse in that movie. Then I, I'm not sure I would see it in theaters. I'll be honest, but it is something that I was I'm interested in now more than before. So good job, trailer. You did your job. Um, the next one was Flash, and the theater i'm sorry the trailer that came out for this movie around cinemacon i think it was it just sort of blew me away and we've talked about this movie since the beginning of the year it was on our most anticipated movies list right since then a few teasers and trailers have come out and it's done nothing but increase my excitement for it and i mean the DCEU is now phasing into the DCU with helmed by James Gunn. And I'm thinking that this is going to be the bridge, but even if it isn't, it's got Michael Keaton, Batman. That was my growing up Batman, except Adam West, you know, watching reruns. Uh, It seems like it's got like this big, bold storyline. And there's a lot of things that are in these trailers that are just very intriguing to me. So I don't need to be more on board with this movie. But the trailers are now getting me actively excited. Like, I want to see this movie. How about you? Yeah, me too. And that movie, along with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, has me very excited for DC because James Gunn is in charge of all of it. And I kept thinking about it while I was watching the movie. Like, wow, he is going to do great things with the DCU. And The Flash... From everything I've heard, sounds like it's going to be a really good movie. Um, But it looks like it's going to be really different and authentic. And I'm really excited to see a DC movie that, you know, finally has its own identity. That's not, you know, just a different shade of the same color or trying to be something that is not ready to be. Which is interesting for you to say because you're talking about a movie that has three different versions of Batman, two different versions of The Flash, uh, a new reimagined or different character standing in for where Superman was standing in for Man of Steel. So, uh, But what you're saying is that I agree with you is that it, it seems like it knows what it is and we'll see if it really embraces what it is and does it effectively. But so far... The trailers are selling me on it. And there's so much hype now coming out of CinemaCon and some of the people that have seen it because they screened it at that convention a couple weeks ago that um, it's to the point now where I think people need to reel in their expectations because it's gone from a movie that it's sort of like, okay, this is sort of becoming a disaster to now people are walking around saying it's one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. So as always... I like to encourage people to pump the brakes, go into it with an open mind, no expectations, ride the roller coaster, don't try to drive the roller coaster, and we'll see where, where we are here in a, in a few six weeks-ish, because uh, it's going to be coming out at the end of June. Uh, speaking of a movie coming out in June, 
another trailer. The third one we got to see was the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny trailer. I don't need to be more excited for this movie. This is an Indiana Jones movie. This is a nostalgic, you know, this is almost like it's almost to Star Wars level for me where I'm going to go in and I just know I'm going to enjoy it just because I'm going to hear the music, going to see the action, going to see Harrison Ford back in that fedora with the whip. It looks like it's going to be entertaining. The de-aging scenes that it keeps on showing seem to be compelling to me and it looks great. Um, But from your perspective, what is what did the trailer do for you or where is your hype level now for for Indy going into the final stretch here where the marketing is going to start getting ramped up? Um, I'm excited for it because they're making it seem like it's the uh, the final movie, you know, the final ride. And I think the conclusions to sagas are always very powerful. So I'm excited in that sense. And the trailer looks good. Um, I just don't think I have the same excitement for Indiana Jones that I do for other movies. You know, I'm, I'll probably end up watching it um, just because, but I don't think I'm going to go out of my way to see it just because I don't really have that same um, attachment to the Indiana Jones franchise. My favorite Indiana Jones project is the Lego game. That game's phenomenal. <laughs> That's fair. That was completely fair because Indiana Jones as a franchise hasn't been very active since Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which came out when you were very young. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's a fair uh, statement, I think, for you to say, you know, you're, you're going to see it because you know it's going to be good quality, but to have the connections that other people may have aren't quite there. One thing that I will say is a highlight for me of this trailer specifically is the, um, the way that they use the music because it starts out with the Rolling Stones song. I think it's uh, Sympathy for the Devil, if I'm not mistaken, that song. And it plays throughout like maybe half the the trailer. But then it starts to morph into and mash up into the Indiana Jones, the Raiders theme. And I just think that whoever put that all together for the trailer, give them a bonus because that really was effective for me. Um, second to last one that we got to see was the Marvels. And I think we've talked about the trailer before. Maybe we haven't, but all I know is that every time Kamala Khan is on the screen, it was my favorite part of the trailer. She cracks me up. Her energy, her laugh, her enthusiasm, her youth. I can't wait to see how this is going to work juxtaposed against Maria Rambo and and uh, Captain Marvel. And the story seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm so happy to see the Khan family back because they were one of my favorite parts about the Ms. Marvel series. Uh, and you know, the cat with the tentacles, uh, shooting out of its face goose goose. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see, uh, what, what they have in store for us. And again, also excellent music, uh, selection for this, for this uh, trailer. What did you think about it? Um, I don't know yet because Captain Marvel was solid. Um, you know, I, I, I think I forget about the movie a lot because it sort of just ranks like right in the middle. So I'm sure, not talking sure. about how bad it is. I'm also not talking about how good it is. And where we see Captain Rambo for the first time, is, or for the only time is uh, WandaVision. Sure. And not huge on WandaVision. And then Miss Marvel has Kamala Khan. And I wasn't huge on that. So... I don't know. I did. It seems like a fun trailer and everything. Um, 
but I don't think my expectations are very high for the movie. And maybe that's a good thing. Um, but I also don't have a ton of excitement for it either. I think it's always a good thing not to have any expectations going into a movie because then maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, Captain Marvel was sort of funny because it like got shoehorned into, oh, we need to make sure this movie comes out before Infinity War, right? And before Endgame, before the culmination of the Infinity Saga. So it was the only one that was sort of like a prequel to everything. And I enjoyed it. I, I had There was a lot to like. Uh, a lot of it had to do with the the tone and the 90s nostalgia also for me but i thought it was it was a fun movie um so yeah we'll see i think that comes out in the fall i don't have a release date in front of me but i do think it comes out in the fall i'm looking forward to it because kamala khan cracks me up she's great Uh, the last one that we saw for trailers uh is the movie called oppenheimer and i don't know every time i see a trailer for this movie i'm more and more intrigued first of all it's christopher nolan right he's a great filmmaker and the subject matter is historical. It's very heavy. Like, I don't know what other, you know, it's tied into World War II, which is heavy enough as it is. And there's so many different stories that you could tell about World War II. And this is one that hasn't really made it to the big screens yet or really into a mass audience. And it just seems incredibly intriguing to me. One of these maybe thinker type movies where it's like, a slow burn and you're just going to appreciate the nuance and the performances and the way that the movie is made. Uh, I'm down. I'm not sure it needs. Well, I guess maybe it does need to be seen on a big screen. We're talking about the, the a bomb, right? I mean, the atomic bomb. So there's certainly going to be some visuals, but what do we, what about you? How did you, uh, what do you, what do you think about the trailer and the uh, movie itself? I think it looks great. It's, um, definitely going to have a heavier tone um compared to the other trailers we saw but the uh the cast for it is insane they the budget for that movie must have been through the roof they got to make a billion dollars just to crack even but (laughs) it really seems like they're um at least from the trailers and everything i've been seeing about it it seems like they did right in every aspect of it because he just the tone right from the get-go you know what the stakes are you know what i mean you know what ends up happening at the end sort of i guess depending on if you're alive today then maybe you know um but i think it's going to be a very good movie i just don't know what the audience is for it because it's definitely a more mature movie but is it like a historical war movie yeah is it like a thriller type you know um but a good movie is a good movie regardless and good movies typically do well regardless of what the genre is well it's definitely aimed towards more of the cinema group of people the people that go there for to see film like a, a good film rather than you know a good time at the movies like it's sort of funny that they stuck it in you mentioned it with these other <laughs> these other trailers you got a racing movie a, a comic book movie an action adventure movie and another comic book movie oh yeah by the way let's throw the uh, oppenheimer in there just to see if the audience is paying attention i guess but yeah definitely not geared towards the people that are they're watching a comic book or a superhero movie but like you said on its own 
you know, you mentioned it. It's almost like a war movie, and I hadn't even thought of it as a war movie, but it is. It's literally about the war, like the war that they said uh, would end all wars. So, um, it's an intriguing, intriguing thing. So, I believe it comes out in July. Uh, so, we'll see uh, how that how that falls. All right. So, let's get into Guardians of the Galaxy. And thanks for entertaining my my whimsy there to talk about these these trailers. Um, so, from here on out, we're going to be spoiling. We're going to go right into spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, most likely Volume 2, Volume 1, most likely Endgame, Infinity War. All these things might come up. Uh, who knows? So beware. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't, uh, if you don't want to be spoiled on any of those things, um, go see it and come back and listen to our, our ear words about it. Uh, so where do the Guardians fit into your hierarchy, Luke, of the MCU, like as, as the movies, as well as characters, you know, where do they fall on your radar? It's an interesting question because the movies are definitely, um, I'd say there's five tiers for Marvel movies. You have the best ones at one, the really good ones at two. You know, so those are like the Captain Americas and stuff like that, Iron Man one. And the three ones are like the average ones. And then there's the ones that I don't, wasn't overly fond of. Um, and at the bottom, Eternals. Alone. <laughs> Is the only one at the bottom, on the bottom? Just right? Eternals. Okay. Only Eternals. <laughs> okay. All alone, the way it deserves to be. <laughs> and the Guardians of the Galaxy, I'd probably put, I'd probably put, yeah, I'd put them in the two. Um, maybe okay. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and 3. Um, but the first one is definitely in the second tier, maybe even in the first tier. But as far as the characters, um, like Star-Lord's cool, but he's not, you know, I'm not talking about how much I love Star-Lord most of the time, right? He's a dork. The only one, what's that? He's a dork. He is, and he's a lovable dork. Um Drax, you know, he's cool. Nebula, cool. Gamora, cool. I think the only ones where I had like a really deep attachment to were Groot and Rocket. So as far as characters, I'd probably put them at the very top. But the movies, I would say they're pretty good. As far as characters, I think the movies are better than the characters, if that makes sense. Like as a group, they are better than they are individually. That's an interesting take. Um and I find myself agreeing with a lot of it. I enjoyed volume one. I can, I can be honest. And I think I've only seen volume two once. I, I've never really had the draw to go back and watch it again. And that's not saying it's bad. It's just, um, things happened and we found out some stuff and it was fun. Although the opening of that movie has one of my favorite songs of all time, which is, um, Mr. Blue Sky. Uh, while, while they're fighting those big, teethy monster things so that was a great opening but i'm gonna i'm gonna come back to the openings here in a little bit i don't want to get ahead of myself but so the movies are there i find that i that i engage more with the characters in the infinity war and the end game setting when they're around other characters from the bigger mcu some of my favorite scenes from infinity war are the rocket and thor group scenes not even just the entertainment factor of it, but the dialogue, right? There's some heavy moments there between Thor and Rocket. Um, 
Groot is his, you know, angsty teen self who doesn't want to do anything but play on his little device there. Uh, and then an end game again, rocket and Nebula, of course, Nebula and Tony Stark, the beginning of that movie. I, I find myself gravitating more towards the guardians when they're around those other types of characters. Although I find them fun and entertaining when they're in their own setting. Um, so cool characters. They've got good quick character arcs, especially through this movie, through the, through the trilogy. But again, for me, it was, you know, the most memorable things is when they're interacting with other MCU characters, Thor, uh, really more than anybody, to be quite honest, the scene with Thor in infinity war, when he, when they, you know, get him out of space and he's on that table and he, and that's one of the funniest scenes I think in, the entire MCU, just the, all the interaction. It goes so fast. I just think it's hilarious. So, um, I think part of that is because they're very similar. The Guardians, they're, well, they're, they're different, but they're all, you know, they bounce off of each other. And it's like you have your quirky, quippy Star-Lord and your super dull Drax and your angry Nebula. And it's all like they all fit so well together. And they're like a they're like a band where they just, they riff off each other, you know? And then when you add in somebody new into that mix, then they really shine because they're not like, you know, now they're allowed to go do whatever the hell they want. And and it really takes people by surprise. So what did you think overall about the movie? Whether you have any highlights, overall thoughts, um, just about the movie in general? It was heavy. It was heavy. It invoked more emotions in me than I think any movie other than probably Infinity War and Endgame. The The highs were high and the lows were low. Um, and that's a really good thing because, you know, I was uh, I was talking to some of my friends about it and they, were, they had watched it before me and they were saying like, yeah, it probably could have been rated R with how heavy some of it was. And I, I agree. I think some of it was, I was a little worried about the kids that were in the theater with us, you know, when there were those scenes with with the animals in the cages, like I was scared Yep. and you know, I was, um, I can't imagine what it must've felt like to be a little six-year-old watching that. I agree with you. And that was one of my points also for my overall thoughts is that, uh, is way more mature than I expected. And you mentioned the word heavy, the trailers that were coming up to the movie and I stopped watching anything related about two weeks ago because, you know, I've said it before, but Marvel just blitzes everybody with, with so much two weeks ish leading up to their movies that I just don't watch any of them because I want to save those things for the theater. I like, I like to be surprised. So I just, I I'll watch trailers, but I don't really go through and dissect them and, don't go back and rewatch them, you know, a whole bunch of times. But I've so I saw the Guardians trailer or the various trailers leading up to it, and to me, it seemed like it was going to be a very heavy emotional movie, uh, and it was. But thankfully, it wasn't as heavy and emotional as I thought it would be. It was a lot lighter and a lot funnier and a lot more fun than I expected. I really, I sort of expected like Infinity War level heaviness, and I didn't want that. I, I can be honest with you, I. You know, after as um, the the heaviness of Black Panther and Wakanda Forever, 
um, some of the heaviness of some of the shows that we've seen. I really enjoy that light fun tone of the MCU more. And I was glad that Ant-Man was a lot more fun than I expected it to be because they sort of marketed that as a heavy film too. And Ant-Man's not heavy. Ant-Man is, is inherently fun. Um, so this one came in and it, it was not as, as emotionally impactful as, as I was afraid it was going to be, but I should say it wasn't a good way for me in a good way. It was. Um, but I also thought about the kids in the theater with us too, because I mean, we have the MCU's first F bomb was dropped. Um, the violence in it was way more graphic than I thought it would be. Not, not that there was blood or maiming or anything like that, but a lot of, I'm used to like space things and maybe this is star Wars fault, but I'm used to when people are shooting at things in space, I'm used to seeing blasters and hearing blasters, but some of the weapons in this movie sounded like outright guns, like they and, and they acted like guns. You didn't see bullets hitting people, but the way they were firing at each other was just much more violent than I've, uh, that I'm used to. Did you, did you catch onto that too? I was thinking about it during the little hallway scene and they uh, they were not showing people get knocked unconscious or no. break their arm and decide that they're out of the fight. They were showing people dying. Yep. And I thought about that and I was like, yeah, well, you know, I they, they did it in a way that wasn't like gross or sure. over the top. Um, so I'm glad that they went that route, but I think that it was um it fit the tone so it wasn't a problem yeah it, it did work it worked it was just a little bit more than what i expected uh coupled with like language and the themes yeah you're right i mean it was probably one word away or maybe one more action scene away from a, uh, an r rating which would have been mind-blowing for a guardians of the galaxy movie to be rated r right <laughs> um a couple of highlights that i had for me actually is and i mentioned i was going to talk about the openings the openings of every guardians movie has been a home run in my opinion the first thing we see in the in volume one is star lord going to get the orb and he's got his headphones on and you've got that song playing the one that they actually ended up the trilogy with, right. That rocket puts on at the post credit scene. I think it was, um, it's just the titles evading me. I'm sorry, but, uh, that was so much fun. And he's going through and he's like kicking, um, those little rats on that planet, those nasty monster things. Then the second one, again, I referenced it before you've got Mr. Blue sky with them going through and having this massive battle. You've got baby Groot dancing, uh, and you know, blowing things up, and that was a lot of fun. This one is completely different in tone, but I still thought was such an incredible. I, it is such a highlight for me. You've got Rocket basically taking us on a tour of nowhere, which is now their home base. We know because of the holiday special, and he's playing um, an acoustic version of Creep from Radiohead. And first of all, I'm a sucker for any good acoustic version of any song. And this one was especially effective, I thought. Um, and I don't know, it just set, it was a very emotional. It just set the tone right off the bat. Like, this is going to be an emotional story. And it it did a great job. What did you think about that opening? Yeah, it. it you said it perfectly. It really set the tone because I immediately felt like, oh my God, is somebody going to die in the first 
act of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and there were a couple times where I thought somebody did. Um, well, Rocket came and, close. Yeah, and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that the it was weird because it was like so back and forth, and it was like that the whole movie where it was like really something really heavy would happen, and then something really light would happen. And then that sort of left you thinking like, okay, well, is something heavy going to happen right now? Um, Because, you know, it's sort of like sad and then you see Quill and then it gets sad again. But then, you know, they like put him in bed and it's like, oh, okay, well, it's okay now. And then boom, Adam Warlock comes in. And that was, uh, that was just the beginning of the roller coaster. Um this has been all over social media so you've probably seen it and and people listening may have seen it too but you know the scene that we saw in the trailers where nebula is carrying what we now know is drunk quill uh out you know to his room basically to go put him to bed uh everybody i mean i assumed wow is he gonna die peter quills they're gonna kill him in this movie because of that but it ended up he was just passed out drunk but did you know that 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 what nebula is carrying is a, a dummy it's a doll that they made of Peter of Peter Quill of Star Wars of Star Lord. Yeah, I, I saw them like messing with it. Yeah, um, and she was like carrying it around, like waltzing with it. Um, <laughs> it was like thirty five pounds. Yeah, they said it was thirty five pounds, and they like they showed the face and everything, and it was it was scary how good it looked. <laughs> scary good. <laughs> uh, James Gunn also said that he kept it sitting in his office for an extended period of time. <laughs> um, so James Gunn. It is so James Gunn. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead uh, to uh, just to close out my highlights. And it was the final scene on, on nowhere. And I really loved how they connected it to music and dance to music and dancing because music and dancing has been a theme throughout all three of the movies, you know, with a little Groot, you know, dancing in his flower pot and music of course is a major factor in all the guardians movies. Uh, so I just love the fact that even though the original or what we had as at the beginning of a guardians team is now going their separate ways, they had just a, essentially this massive dance party on nowhere. And I just thought it was so joyful. And again, for that scene to me, I just felt like it was a perfect song choice. The dog days are over by Florence and the machine. It was just I, I felt like I got more emotional on that scene right there than any other time of the movie because it was just pure joy. Even Drax, who has had just this moral issue <laughs> with dancing and calling saying it's for idiots and whatnot, even he just cuts loose and starts dancing. And I thought that it was a wonderful way to end the movie. I just I was so happy during that whole thing. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. Um Especially because it was, uh, you know, it wasn't just the end of something, but the beginning of something new. And I think that was sort of the point. Yeah. And that made me so excited for (laughs) every time something cool happened. I was like, oh, my God, the DC is going to be so good with James Gunn (laughs) because that's how you end a trilogy. That's, you know, he didn't kill any of the main characters off. They all went their separate ways. They all have what they've wanted all along, whether or not it's what they thought they wanted. Um, but 
that that was such a beautiful ending to the trilogy. It to me it felt the same as seeing um, um Captain America and Steve um dancing with um God, how am I forgetting her name? Peggy Carter. Um, Peggy Carter. That it felt the same to me for that because it was just like I'm so happy for you guys because you guys deserve that. It's a it's a really beautiful fitting conclusion for many of these characters, but like you astutely pointed out, it's not just a conclusion, but it's um it's the it's almost like the end of one chapter and the beginning of another chapter. Uh and you mentioned also I was fully expecting one of these characters to die because I thought that's what they were setting us up for. That was sort of the whole push behind the marketing campaign. They're showing characters looking down at what some, at something we can't see and they're screaming and crying, right? That happened on a couple different trailers. Uh, so there's, it seemed like they were building us up. Oh, and then they were building the whole narrative of little, we're getting an origin story for rocket. And then they showed in a lot of the, marketing campaigns, Lila. So you're thinking, okay, they're showing us, you know, like, um, an important character from his past. Uh, how is it going to play into the, to this one? And who are we going to lose? And I really love the fact that we didn't lose anyone. And it goes to show you, you don't need to, you don't need to just kill off a character to have an emotional climax to a story in a movie. These characters are moving on and I'm excited to see what happens with them. If, are we going to see all of them in the future? You know, maybe, maybe not, uh, but they're all in certain places and those places to me make sense. Um, but that's down the road. I actually have an, I, I want to ask you about that specifically before we get to that. I wanted to ask you, speaking of characters, uh, what did you think about Adam Warlock? I like him. I think he fits in well. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about this before. Um, they even hinted at Adam Warlock potentially becoming a guardian. I was thinking when they were all on the ship, I was like, damn, you guys need a heavy hitter. None of you guys are, when they were going to go into that weird flesh planet place. Oh, that was gross. <laughs> it was um, so thought, gross. I thought like, yeah, you know, you guys really, really rely on a lot of luck and you guys really need a heavy hitter. And that's why I always thought Thor would fit in so well. Mm-hmm. Because they really need that guy who can, you know, the the really strong person who can bail them out last minute if they need. And um, Adam Warlock is that now. And I like that he's weird, just like the rest of them. So he fits in. And um, he's also clearly in need of uh, some guidance. And who better to get some guidance from than their new team leader? It's interesting. I, I'm glad that he, that I asked you about him specifically because I didn't know anything about the character. All I knew is that he was a force to be reckoned with as far as, like you said, power. I mean, the guy can destroy things, right, with his hands. Um, so I didn't know much about the character and that quirkiness and sort of the the funny, jokey side of him it sort of took me off guard and I didn't know what to make of it. I'm not going to say that I didn't like it during the movie, but it just took me off guard. Um, But hearing what you have, what you had to say actually helped me fit some pieces together 
because that quirkiness and that jokiness side of him, of course he's going to have that if he's going to be a part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's literally in their DNA. All of them are dysfunctional. All of them have their issues, and they all need and can help each other work themselves through those issues. So, yeah, now it makes a lot of sense. So I'm glad that we that we talked about it, and your words helped clarify some of those things. Because during the movie, I was like, I'm not sure I'm into all this weird... I need to check with my mom stuff. <laughs> that was a little bit um, off-putting, but now I, I sort of get it. Like I sort of get it. So thank you. You you helped me um, work work my way through there. And I also enjoy Will Poulter. He was in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, as Eustace uh, Stubb. So I Stubb or Scrub, one of those. Um, so I'm glad to see that he's there and he's going to have an active role going forward. Uh, what did you think about the High Evolutionary uh, as a villain? I thought he was a great villain. Um, he clearly was powerful, but would he? His power didn't really mean anything. That didn't make him a villain, really, because he hardly used his strength until, you know, right at the end. Um, but he was like, if we're talking about evil characters, I don't know if we've seen a character as evil as him because he was diabolical he was sinister he had no redeeming qualities about him and um i thought that it was a really good fit for um like he was the catalyst to send everybody in the direction that they needed to go um because if they hadn't encountered something as emotional as rocket dying and you know, them seeing the trauma that he went through, I don't think that makes Quill um, respect him as much as he does now. I don't think it makes Gamora help them again. I don't think it helps Mantis realize what she needs to be. Um, so I thought that he was the perfect villain for them. He's, he was legit scary to me. Um, I, I find like villains that are unhinged, like he would get to be really scary when they're on the screen. And it's almost like a Heath Ledger Joker type thing because in one moment, the high evolutionary was being kind, like straight up complimentary towards little rocket when we were getting his backstory. And in the next moment, he's, he's like literally screaming at the top of his lungs, becoming unhinged towards the same character or other characters around him. And, you know, just that keeps me off off balance, right? And that's what you want sort of in a villain, right? You, you you want to be kept on your toes on the edge of your seat. Like what's this what's this character gonna do next? Um another and so sort of calling back to the the graphic and the mature violence in this, you know, the whole face being, you know, stretched across his skull and then at the end being peeled off and we had already found out by then that, you know, Rocket had done that. Holy moly, that was that was um that was a very mature scene, right? When he's when he's doing that. But of course, I mean he's an animal, he's got claws. It makes sense. He was pushed to the point. I mean, he had just lost the only friends he'd ever known. Uh Rocket's first word in of his of his existence was Hertz, right? I mean, that's painful With his stuff. Brain exposed. Uh 
Yeah. I mean, that was all, and not only mature and not great for kids to see, but also could be very triggering for people that absolutely love animals. Like I think of my grandmother, my grandmother never liked seeing anything that brought harm to any animals, no matter what it was. And, you know, she's not with us obviously anymore, but you know, I would just think if she were to ever find herself watching this movie, she would probably walk out because she just hated anything that had to do with the mistreatment of animals. Um, so yeah, and it got graphic. Um, but yeah, so he, and he was behind all that. High Evolutionary was behind all that. And again, another villain that had his own principles for his own reasons and thought he was right, makes him dangerous. And um, he was, he had the power to accomplish the things that he was trying to accomplish. So, you know, lots of similarities with Thanos. Uh, thankfully, he wasn't a exist an existence um, level threat. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he, he was, you know, at the, at the end, I thought he killed himself when he was being surrounded by his crew and they were pointing their guns at him. I thought that he blew the whole place up and I thought, Oh, what a novel way to kill off a villain that they, he actually just killed himself. You don't really see that. Uh, but then that was quickly erased from my mind. What, what would you think about a villain? That's how the villain dies in this movie. He just kills himself and everyone around him. <laughs> um, it would make sense because the guy is clearly deranged and he had become so infatuated with Rocket that he was, you know, he was saying nothing else matters, nothing else matters. Um, and if you, it was sort of like a, if I can't have you, no one will kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's true. So I, I think that would make sense. I'm still kind of confused about what happened to him though. Well, it didn't show, I mean, so they neutralized him, right? He was down, he was down and out. They shot him. The I sort of love. I, I really did like how all the guardians came in in their own ways and contributed to that because it sort of showed like, hey, we're all together, we're unified. Because they spent so much of the and movie they, yelling at each other. They jumped him. Like it was they not did. a fight. No. He got jumped. So he was there. They peeled his face off, and then they all had to get out of there because they wanted to save the animals. And then the ship blew up. So I assume that we are expected to think that he died because the ship blew up but my whole thing is no body no death <laughs> so he could still be out there in some way shape or form he's clearly survived and he's very powerful so we may see him again it's i could see that happening i almost hope that he doesn't because um i think rocket sparing him um was a very beautiful thing, but I think Rocket also deserves the closure and the peace of mind of knowing that he's no longer out there doing what he did. Mm, good point. Yeah, I'm torn because anytime you have a good villain, I, I think it's cheap and easy just to kill them. I think it's way more interesting to find a way to neutralize them and, and take away their threat, uh, their ability to threaten. But at the same time... Avatar The Last Airbender... Thank you very much. Spoilers. Uh, but also I was thinking like Civil War. What is the guy's name? Um, Zemo. Zemo. Baron Zemo, right? He was behind that whole thing. And the whole point was T'Challa wouldn't let him die after being filled with rage and vengeance through the whole movie. So then they neutralized him. But then look, boom, Captain America and, and um, a Fal sorry, Falcon and the Winter Soldier he's back and he's in play again. So I like that from a creative aspect. So, but I do also agree with you that rocket deserves to live with that 
trauma in his life gone, right? He's no longer around to hurt you. Uh, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I do think he was a, a pretty marvelous villain, pun intended. Um, so let's end off with this three groups. I want to hear your, your, uh, thoughts on three groups of characters. The first group are our little band of animals, uh, Lila Teefs, <laughs> which I just crack up every time I hear his name, Teefs, uh, Floor and Rocket. Uh, how did, how did you like all those scenes and that backstory with Rocket? How did, did that, did that work for you? It was beautiful. And every single time that they had a flashback, I was so scared. I was so worried because they were all such cute, lovable characters. And it was just, you know, they were so nice. And I wanted to be like, I want to watch you and listen to you, but also get off of my screen because I don't want to see what's going to happen to you. (laughs) And, you know, I, I enjoyed them and I liked hearing them, but I also pitied them. Um, not just the situation they were in, but also, you know, what they were. You know, Teefs had what looked like bicycle wheels attached to him. Yeah. You know, and Floor had her mouth shut and spider legs. Yep. And Lila didn't have arms. And so it, it made me sad that they existed, but it also made me happy to see that they were, you know, making the best of their situation. And it makes everything with Rocket just seem so much heavier. Um, so I thought they were great. Yeah, me too. Uh, I thought they were beautiful. I thought they were brilliant. And I thought their whole story was just brutal. Brutal. I mean, to have it end the way it ended story-wise makes it, it makes it makes so much sense, of course, because Rocket was created from trauma and he experienced trauma. So that explains a lot of things about rocket, but you're right. Every time they were on the screen, you, you were nervous about what was going to happen. When is somebody going to go open a cage and grab one of them? Um, the, the thing that I, I thought was beautiful though, was here they are, these four creatures just suffering. I mean, so much they're they're suffering they have no freedom they can't even see the sky and they kept on bringing up the sky they just wanted their animals they should be outside they should be experiencing nature and they were in everything around them was the opposite of that and yet they still because of the four of them managed to find a way to be hopeful which I just think is beautiful. And here we are talking about four characters that are, you know, machinated animals, right? Um, but they they just provided hope. And the trauma that Rocket suffered that informed so much of him going forward was outweighed by the love, the unity, and the friendship, and the hope that he experienced through all that trauma and you're right. The DC movies are in good hands <laughs> because that's all James Gunn. That's all gun. Um, so yeah. What about the, uh, the second group I wanted to get to is the now defunct guardians of the galaxy. 
I wanted to hear your thoughts on basically where they're at uh, and and how you felt about them parting ways. We've got Gamora that went back to the Ravagers. Quill is now on Earth. Nebula is leading nowhere. Uh, Drax is there on nowhere with with her being a dad. I thought that was magnificent. I loved the dad aspect of Drax. Of course, that makes so Me much sense. Me too. Uh, Mantis has now got her big monster things uh, going off to find herself, which I also thought was pretty effective because she always has been informed by everyone around her. She's always just played off of who's around her rather than being her own thing. So I think that it's um, – I, I liked that motivation very much. What did you think about those guys, those uh, those characters specifically? Um, I was very happy with the way they went off. Um, yeah, I was I was curious to see how they were going to handle the Gamora Star Lord situation, um, and I'm glad that he, you know, it's still clear that he loves her and wants to be with her. But I think he's accepted that that can't happen, um, and I think she has also accepted that, you know, she doesn't have to do that because she doesn't want to. But she also um, seemed to open up more a lot from it. So that was nice for both of them. and But the person I'm happiest for is Drax. Because when you see him in the first movie, he is obsessed with killing Ronan because Ronan killed his daughter. And um, by the way, Ronan was such a cool villain. Yeah. I wish we got more of him. Anyways. Um, but I think a lot of people sort of write off Drax because they're like, yeah... I, myself included, where they're like, yeah, he's, um, you know, he doesn't understand sarcasm. And that's sort of his thing. That's his whole bit. And now he's, um, he's getting to get back to his roots. He's now a father to probably look like hundreds of kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, they're also similar to him because, you know, the, the high evolutionary was even saying that they're, um, you know, they're not, capable of creative thought that it's just um everything that they do is extremely efficient but it's all a learned behavior yeah they're just like copying things that they've seen and Drax is sort of like that too so i think they're gonna fit in well um so yeah i'm really happy with how they ended off yeah i i was surprisingly satisfied too uh and i and i i echo your thoughts on the quill and gamora thing I didn't know how they were going to resolve that, especially from the beginning, because Gamora comes in so ruthless and so angry. And hats off to Zoe, uh, Zoe Saldana, because her performance was magnificent. Like she was convincingly angry, wanted nothing to do with any of this. And by the end of the film, she was showing, you know, some shades of that Gamora that we lost in Infinity War. And I just I thought it was really effective. Um and I really like where Nebula is because Nebula is a leader, right? I mean, she, she is a leader and she's right where she belongs in this funky skull of a, of an old celestial, um, trying to reestablish a society that <laughs> like no one expected to be in existence. So really, a really cool way to end off those characters, uh, story arc here through the trilogy who knows what going forward um the last group i wanted to ask you about is the new guardians lineup because we we get them in the post credit scene we see them in some desert type of setting and they're waiting to defend a town um and they're led by captain rocket raccoon who has accepted the fact that he is a raccoon which i thought was very powerful 
of course, Groot. I'm so happy that they ended up together. They had to. Craglin, Adam Warlock. Um, what what I have learned is her name is Phyla, the young, the little girl who has white hair and glowy hands. And Cosmo, the dog, which I thought was also a fun part of the movie. And um Adam Warlock's little loath cat looking uh sidekick whose name is It does look like a loath cat. Doesn't it look like a loath cat? Um, his name is Blurp, by the way. So Blurp is fun, fun things to say. Name. Yeah. What do you think about the new Guardians of the Galaxy? I'm a big fan. I think that um, they could do a lot of damage. <laughs> like if I'm if I'm picking Guardians of the Galaxy one or Guardians of the Galaxy two, group two to um, fight, you know some massive threat i'm taking the second group um and i think that's you know that's a good thing but it seems like there's a lot to learn from each other and i think that it's the perfect group for rocket to lead because he's um you know there's a literal child with them so he has to you know watch his mouth a little bit um adam warlock is also essentially a child um and Groot, which by the way, special shout out to Kaiju Groot. That was awesome. I loved Kaiju Groot. Absolutely. And um yeah, I, I think it's gonna be really good because it stays too true to its roots of being fun and lighthearted. But they're also um they're definitely a force to be reckoned with. They are, and it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I have to tell you that I sort of was surprised that they they included Craglin because I figured that he would be shuffling off to the DCU uh, because he is um, James Gunn's brother. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know how much of a role he's going to play. I like him. He's a fun character. He's cool enough, but um, you know. I, I also don't know how much we're going to be seeing the whole second group as well. That's um, a good point. So, you know, he might not be playing much of a role anyway. So I sort of hope we do, though, because this, the, like you said, the group sounds it looks potentially has a lot of uh, it could be a lot of fun. Mostly, you know, honestly, I'll be on, you know, I want to see more Rocket and Groot. Uh, but these other ones seem like they could be uh, could be fun. Phyla, by the way, um does have comics origins but they didn't mention her last name as a comic book character and her comics name is phyla vel and in a very complicated and roundabout way she's the daughter of uh marvel the original captain marvel so you mentioned it yeah you mentioned it even as we were sitting waiting for the post credit scene that i didn't notice but her hands glowed and yeah. yeah, so she her comics origins come from the Marvel or the Mar- Captain Marvel uh, world or part of the world. Um, you know, her origin is extremely complicated because, you know, comics. But yeah, so she does have that type of, you know, fo- photon type of kind of um, uh, uh, power. And she's very powerful. Super speed, so super is, strength. Is she not one of those um, people that they saved off of that ship? She is. Um, I just oh, they've okay. changed. Well, yeah, she was one of the children because they all had that same similar look. But she, they're obviously changing her origin from the 
uh, from the comics. So we'll see who knows. And I think they did on purpose. They, they didn't mention, they mentioned her name Phyla, but they didn't mention her last name Vel, uh, probably for a very good reason. Uh, maybe they're separating from, from the character in the comics, but yeah. Um, yeah, I wrote, also wrote down in my notes that Groot was huge, <laughs> even, you know, even before Kaiju Groot, or I, I mean, in the post-credit scene, it just seems like he's not in any altered state. He's just grown to be massive. And then of course the, um, the last post-credit scene is Pete, Mr. Now earthling Peter Quill having breakfast with his grandpa. And I don't, I didn't catch this, but I saw it online afterwards that, the newspaper that's sitting on their dining room table or their breakfast table uh, has a headline about Kevin Bacon being abducted by aliens. <laughs> Love it. And it's sort of funny because they're just sitting there complaining about a neighbor who doesn't cut his grass. And now, you know, all these things that the quote unquote legendary star Lord has, has survived and has fought and has seen in his life. Now he's just sitting next to Gramps complaining about the neighbor's grass, which I think is, really funny really charming and, and sweet um yeah but that's it uh and then of course the last thing we see is the legendary star lord will return so it's interesting because it didn't say the guardians of the galaxy will return they specifically mentioned star lord so um any final thoughts anything that you wanted to get to um that we weren't able to no i uh i really enjoyed the movie and i think um you know i i've seen a lot of people talk about where it ranks with all those other movies. Um, I think it's definitely high up there, but I will say this. This is my, um, this is my hot take that I'll leave everyone with. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is the final great Marvel movie. The final great Marvel movie. How, can you explain that? When I think of the the best of the best Marvel movies, you know, Endgame, Infinity War, you could even include the original Avengers and all of those other guys. But you know, just the the really heavy hitters, I would probably include um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three at the lower end of that, but it's still definitely up there. But James Gunn's leaving, the Russo brothers are gone, the direction of the movies in phase four wasn't you know that much to brag about so um i think that it's the final great marvel movie i think that that is an interesting concept and and you're right a lot of the movie makers that have established all of these movies that we've gotten so far have moved on um I don't know though that it that it eliminates the potential of any more great Marvel movies. I think that that we may still get some some humdingers as the uh old folks may say. So we'll see, but that's an interesting concept. Uh well, any any last things uh beyond that? No, it's cool. it. All right, well that's going to do it for this episode and thank you all for listening. Um for Luke, this is Colby reminding you that even my butt can make metaphors. Nice. You can find the Colby Cast on Twitter and Instagram at the Colby Cast. If you're wordy like me, you can send an email to thecolbycast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
This podcast is not endorsed by anyone or anything for that matter. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Colby cast, unless otherwise indicated. That'll do, Donkey. That'll do.